So this morning we, we're into our second week of God's at War, and, um, and I, I'm excited about this morning because this morning's message is called Battleground, and, and it's going to be a great message. But last week we, we kind of looked at this whole thing that there are gods at war on the inside of us. There are gods that are constantly trying to get our attention, grab us away from the one and only true God, our Lord God, who saved us and delivered us. And we had a look at the fact that uh, we, we don't identify some of those things as idolatry. We think idolatry is an old-fashioned word, but idolatry is basically this. Anything that becomes more important in your world than God is becomes an idol in your life. And the scary thing about that is, is that means that anything could be an idol, yeah? I mean, Trinity this week had to, had to ask for forgiveness because I've become an idol in her life because she worships at my feet. And uh, it's just a joke. And, but anything can become an idol. Anything that takes place of God's place in your life is an idol. A career can be an idol, a relationship can be an idol, sports can be an idol, money can be an idol. Renovating your house, if it takes priority over God, becomes an idol in our world. And the crazy thing is, is this, is that idolatry is not a issue, idolatry is the issue, because idolatry is in the heart, and the heart is what God's after. And so it becomes the key thing when it comes to what we're doing. And so as I was preparing this week, I started to think about the battleground and the different things about that God said. And, and, and I went back to a memory that I had when I was six years of age. When I was six years of age, we lived on Watling Street in Tauranga. And uh, my parents raised me in Tauranga near the beach, Mount Monganui. And then once I got into this beautiful lifestyle of swimming at the beach all the time, they then took me to Porirua and Wellington because they just hate me. And, uh, but while I was six, I was living on Watling Street, and my brother was nine. He was three years older than me, three and a half years older than me. And, um, and we had the Watling Street gangs. There was our gang at the bottom of Watling Street, and then there's the other gang at the top of Watling Street. And the gangs were basically consisting of about kids aged five, six, seven, eight, nine, up to about 10 years of age. And, and us guys down the bottom of Watling Street, we were a better gang than the guys at the top of Watling Street, and we used to get into all sorts of arguments and fights, and not physical, we just kept on, you know, verbal spats going on, you know, I beat them up with my words kind of scenario, until one day it escalated to the point that my brother said to them, that's it, we're meeting down at the creek, because there's a creek at the bottom of Watling Street, bring your slingshots, we're having a slingshot war. And I'm like, yeah, no. What are we going to use in the slingshots? You can use stones or anything you want, he says. I'm just thinking I'm, I'm going to die, yeah? And so the creek at the bottom of the street became the battleground where we assembled. And sure enough, they used stones, and I just hid behind a tree the whole time. And my brother, thank the Lord, was punished for his stupid idea because a rock hit him right smack in the head, split his head open, he was bleeding everywhere, and that was the end of the war on Watling Street. And because it was his idea, he deserved it. But the battleground, the place that the battle took place, was the creek. And the Bible says that the battleground for you and I, when it comes to the gods that are trying to control us, is always the heart. The heart is the place 
where the gods gather to try and remove God as the Lord of your life and become the God of your life. It makes sense because the heart is the thing that God is after, and so they wage war and they gather in the place of your heart. Proverbs 4.23, you probably know the scripture if you have been a Christian for any length of time, but the Bible says this, above all else, guard your heart for everything. Everyone say everything. You do flows from the heart. Everything you do flows from the heart. Your heart defines and determines who you are. Everything about you comes from the heart, how you think, what you do, because everything flows from your heart. Your heart is the front line of the gods at war. In the Hebrew culture, which is when the Bible was written and, and this psalm was, this um, proverb was written, in the Hebrew culture, in their thinking at the time, the heart was what they considered to be the core or the center of a person. They knew it as the spiritual hub of somebody's life, where everything flowed from it, as the scripture had said. Everything they believed flowed from the heart, including our motives, including our thinking, including our emotions, and including our will. Everything flowed from it. See, the Hebrews didn't see the heart and soul and mind as separate. They saw them as a unified thing. So therefore, they decided that the heart reflects your true identity. You see, in the Greek world, which is what we get most of our belief systems from and our words from, they believe in body, soul, and spirit. You see that. You see the guy doing the, the star jump. Have you ever seen that symbol? And it's talking about your body, soul, and spirit. And so the Greeks very much saw that your spirit is one thing, your soul, which is your mind and will and emotions, another thing, and then your body is something else. But the Hebrew culture, they saw that your spirit and your soul were one, and then your body was separate. So when you start reading scriptures like he who is led by the Spirit walks by the Spirit, but he who is led by the flesh walks by the flesh, they saw that your spirit was your mind, your will, your emotions, everything. Your thinking, everything lined up in that. We change our thinking a little bit, but in Proverbs once again, in 29 verse 19, this Scripture shows what the Hebrews really believe. It says this, as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. In other words, everything that you do reflects what's in your heart. The heart is the truth of your identity. And that's why the gods at war fight so fiercely with every, for every inch of it. And so I want you to think this morning of your heart as the Hebrews did as the source of everything in your life that flows from it. Your thoughts, your emotions, your actions, your motives, all from the heart. And then I want to ask you this question as you understand that from a biblical perspective, how much time of your life do you spend dealing with the visible garbage rather than what it produces? How much time, money, energy, frustration do you do doing trash removal control 
when something upstream just keeps on filling the stream with rubbish. If you went to a river or a creek that had a whole lot of rubbish in it, and you're like, man, we're going to clean up this, and you've got a team of people together, and you went and cleaned all that part of that river up, and you're like, woohoo, success, and then you come back the next day, and that same place is just filled with rubbish again, because upstream there's some guy that just keeps dumping his rubbish into the river. You'd be pretty, you'd be pretty upset about that, wouldn't you? You see, there's no point cleaning up the stream down here if we don't fix where the source of the rubbish is coming from. And we can, in life, spend so much of our time doing trash removal instead of actually finding where the source of the trash comes from. We treat symptoms rather than what the problem is. It's basically behavior modification. We are treating the symptom, the symptom-based care. It's a quick fix methodology. If I just sort out this, I'll be all right. But the thing is, is that you can clean up all the peripheral stuff about your life as much as you like, but if you don't deal with where it's coming from, give it the right... So you can pick all the fruit off an apple tree, but in the right environment, at the right season, at the right time, that tree will produce apples again. Why? Because it's not the apple that produces itself, it's the tree that produces the apples. And you can do trash removal in your world as much as you like, but at the right time, in the right environment, with the right things going on, you will reproduce that trash again in your life if you don't cut the tree out from its roots. Here are some examples of what I think are trash removal. And the thing about trash removal is this, not all of it is bad. All right? Here's one. If you have an anger problem, then take a deep breath and count to ten. What parent hasn't done that in their lives? I thought I would have got a little bit of support from parents. Have you ever had those moments with your kids where it's just like, if I don't stop right this minute and count to ten, I'm going to kill them. By stopping and counting to ten, I'm probably just going to maim them. Yeah? It's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's trash removal. If your marriage is in trouble, then schedule some date nights and buy your spouse a gift. It's not a bad thing, but it's just trash removal. If you're drowning in debt, then cut up your credit cards. These are all good things and positive actions, but it's not dealing with the issue because the issue of the heart is the issue of the heart. Are you with me this morning? The issue that you have is not the debt. The issue that you have is your heart. The issue that you have is not your marriage. The issue that you have is your heart. The issue that you have is not um, anger. The issue is your heart. And the enemy works overtime to try and grab hold of our hearts because he knows that if he has your heart, he controls the flow of your life because everything flows out of your heart. He doesn't need to make you bankrupt. He doesn't need to destroy your marriage. He just needs to get your heart because if he gets your heart, everything else takes care of it for him because we'll make decisions out of insecurities, out of anger, out of whatever, because he understands if he has your heart, he causes a flow of your life. Here's the thing. 
it's quite hard to identify idolatry sometimes in our world. Let's say, for you, you've had a lot of anxiety lately in your life. You love God. I just have a lot of anxiety. And it's not an idolatry problem. It's just, I, I just tend to worry too much. Well, let me ask you a question. What in your heart is causing all of that worry? If everything in life flows out of our heart and you've got anxiety levels that are peaking out, what then is causing that worry in your heart? Could it be that if you examine your heart deeply enough, you'll actually find that the reason why you have anxiety is because you have a need to control everything in your life? You know, there's a place for everything, and everything has its place. You just simply want life to go according to your plan. There's no law against that, is there? Is there? I mean, I know there's some laws coming in lately, but I don't think they've made that law. See, the need for control is a relentless God that has taken the ground of your heart. You are in worry and anxiety because you want to control the outcome of what is happening. And the thing is, is this, friend, is that if you crave the control, the more that you try to control, the more that you'll crave the control. And the more that you try to control, the more that you're not going to get God's help. Because when it comes to his kingdom... His ways are not our ways, and His thoughts are not our thoughts, and what looks like bad actually ends up good, hence why Joseph said to his brothers, what you plan for evil, God determined for good. See, you think that you're in a bad situation, but you're just in the prison waiting to be promoted to the palace, and while you continue to try to control whatever is going on in your world, then you'll stay in a prison because you'll become a prisoner to the God of control in your life instead of releasing it into God's hand. And then what happens, because these gods like to form alliances and go into cooperation, as the God of control was starting to control your life, then the God of comfort comes along and decides that it wants to partner with it, and it does everything that it can do to get you to control whatever's going on in your world so that you're comfortable and you don't have to deal with your stuff. I've seen it time and time again where someone will come into my office and they'll want help and we start counselling, we start helping and we get to the core of what the issue is and I said, do you want to deal with that? Oh, no, thank you. That's my comfort thing. If I deal with that, then I'm not going to get the sympathy and the love from people that I've been getting all of this time. Am I touching some nerves this morning? You see... Because of the need to cover every detail, it speaks of a drive to stay within your comfort zone as much as possible. And you think the issue is anxiety and worry, but maybe the real issue is not that, but it's an issue that a God of control and a God of comfort are winning the war of your heart. These gods of control and comfort are likely to be in direct conflict with the Lord God who has called you to a new kind of life. I know when God asks me to step out in faith and do something that is not very comfortable for me, you can guarantee that the God of control and the God of comfort is going to raise its ugly head in your heart, isn't it? 
I want you to step out and talk to that new person. Oh, it's not really my cup of tea. I'll go over here to comfortable because I know Rimmer likes me and we already have a friendship. Well, I think he does. Um, so I'll stay over here in comfort and control. Come on, the gods at war are in direct conflict with whatever God is asking you to do. And it all comes down to what is happening in your heart. Matthew 15, 8 says this, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In other words, they say all the right things, but their hearts are not for me. There's other things that are going on in their hearts that are controlling, that are dictating the direction of their lives. And he goes on to say in the same chapter, in verse 17 to 19, don't you see that whatever enters your mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And these defile them. See, there's no such thing as bad food. Praise God. Simply like, man, I'm going home and it's chocolate for lunch. There's no such thing as bad food. But there is bad words. Food won't destroy you as quick as the words that come out of your heart because from out of the heart come what? Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. Why? Because the heart is the battleground of the gods because they understand that if they control your heart, they control the flow of your life. And God understands that too, and that's why he's so desperate for your heart. That's why he sent his son to die on the cross for you. He gave his heart so that he could have your heart. You know, my um, dad has had some health issues and stuff like that lately. And last year, I think he had, was it last year or the year before, he had a kidney removed because of cancer. And you know, he's got hip, he's got, you know, like the guy, basically, I, I said to him the other day, praise God I pay my taxes because they're basically paying for your medication. He has so many things wrong with him. And he started having heart problems and angina problems and heart issues, and the way that they test that what's going on in your heart is they, they put a dye into your system, and then the dye goes through your bloodstream, and then they take an x-ray, and the x-ray highlights where the blockages are. The only problem for him is because he only has one kidney, they can't do that test because it would wreck his kidney, and then he's on dialysis. So it's like, which one do you do? But the thing is, is that's, that's how they discover that there's a blockage by putting a dye in, they x-ray it, it shows the blockage, and then the doctor will go in and he'll put what they call a stent in, which goes into your blocked vein and opens it up, or your blocked artery, opens it up, and away you go again. The problem is this, as I read up on this, is that the problem is this, is that for years people can have a heart problem that actually goes undiagnosed. And the reason why you can have a heart problem for years and it go undiagnosed is because the symptoms don't seem relevant. The symptoms of a heart problem doesn't seem relevant. Now, I'm not trying to freak you out this morning, so don't sit here going, I've got that, I've got that, I've got that. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> and all these people are like, <laughs> See, a patient, according to doctors, may face insomnia, somnia, whatever it is, inability to sleep, back pain, a loss of appetite, vision problems, 
and other, other challenges. Now, if you had some of those, if you had back pain or if you had vision problems or you weren't sleeping well or you lost a bit of appetite, what would you do? You go to the doctor and you say, I'm not sleeping well or I have back pain or I've lost my appetite. And what the doctor would generally do is treat the symptom of what you've just told them that you have. But those symptoms are all symptoms of a heart problem. And so what happens is that we would seek treatment from our doctor for the symptoms, thinking that we have a sleep issue, we have a back issue, or we have a vision issue, when the truth is, is that we actually have a heart issue. And until that is addressed, you're not going to get any better. But the thing is, is the symptoms are so irrelevant to what you think is a heart problem, because when we have a pain in our heart, we go, I have a heart problem. Yes? And so often we can go through life and we have this incredible difficulty of seeing ourselves as idol worshippers because we don't see it as a heart problem, we just see it as an anger problem. So we treat the symptom. So I want you, over the next wee while as we finish up this morning, I want you to think, as I ask these questions that I'm about to ask you, I want you to treat it like God putting a die into your system to help you reveal what the problem areas of your life are, where your idols are, where the blockages are. And my first question is this, is what disappoints you? What disappoints you? Because disproportionate disappointment reveals that we have placed intense hope and longing in something other than God. Disproportional disappointment, not disappointment, but disproportional where you act like your whole entire world has collapsed because you missed out on a career promotion when it actually hasn't. You know, everybody hates me. Have you ever heard that? Everybody hates me. Do your parents hate you? No. Do your friends hate you? No. Do your kids hate you? No. But everybody hates me. It's disproportionate. It's out of balance. It doesn't make sense that you would be that upset about something that actually isn't really that big a deal. Have you ever thought that your disappointments are God's way of reminding you that there are idols in your life that need to be dealt with? Have you ever thought that God allows disproportional disappointment to happen to help you realize, oh, that, that has way too much meaning in my life for that kind of disappointment? Are you with me this morning? Next thing is, is what do you complain about the most? <laughs> Anybody relate to this? Just me, awesome, you guys are fantastic. I'm just going to preach to myself for a couple of minutes here. Is that okay? If you constantly complain about your financial situation, maybe money has become too important to you. If you constantly complain about the lack of respect in the office, then maybe the people, what people think of you matters way too much to you. If you constantly complain about what kind of year your sports team is having, Maybe sports have become your God. You see, what we complain about reveals what really matters to us. What we complain about reveals what really matters to us. So if you find yourself complaining about something over and over and over and over again, you have to ask yourself, why does this mean so much to me? Is this out of proportion of what it should be? Because here's the thing, whining in many ways is the opposite to worshipping God. 
Because worship is when we glorify God for who he is, acknowledge for what he has done for us, and we're grateful to him for it. But whining is ignoring who God is and forgetting what he has done for us. Whining is worshiping the problem rather than worshiping the solution. Whining is elevating your complaint to a status that it shouldn't be. In fact, Paul says this, do everything without complaining. That should be up in the kitchen of our house every time the dishes need to be done. I got an amen from one parent. Why do you complain about all the time? Here's the next thing. Where do you make financial sacrifices? Because where your money goes shows what God is winning your heart. Don't get over the top with some of this, but you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. You'll sacrifice some things financially for some things, but not for other things. And it really reveals where your heart is. The Bible puts it this way, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Go on, you, you want to have a look. If you're putting more money into your hobby than you are into building memories with your family, your hobbies become your God. Next one is this is what worries you. You can care about something so deeply that it has a hold on you so deep inside. And the reality is how I know where if I worry about something way too much, just wait till you go to bed that night. Yeah? Where your, your mind goes into free-form mode. And next minute you're lying there in bed, yes? Thinking about this and thinking about that and worrying about this and worrying about that. What, what is it that wakes you? What is it that keeps you up at night and keeps you worrying and thinking? Because it has the potential to be an idol in your life because you are making it more important than what it should be. Here's the next one. Where is your sanctuary? Where is your sanctuary? Where do you go when you're hurting? Where do you go when you're hurting? Where do you look for emotional rescue? The chocolate in the fridge? Come on. Food can become an idol in your life. It's, it's a reality. We, we, there's a whole lot of us, and I'll include myself in this, we emotionally eat. You hardly ever have ice cream, but when something bad's going on, that whole tub is gone. Yeah? You're on the way home from work, you had a bad day, so you pop in and you buy yourself a block of chocolate and a bottle of wine. I so need this wine right now, I've had such a bad day. Alcohol can be your emotional rescue. Novels can be your emotional rescue where you just disappear from the world. We have somebody in our house who during the school holidays and not having to deal with children anymore as a teacher escapes into the world of novels. And I know there's an escape into the world of novels because you have to mention this person's name, Mum, about five times before she listens to the children. Video games can be your emotional rescue. Social media can be your emotional rescue. Where do you go when things aren't going good? What is your sanctuary? Psalm 46 says this, 
God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Where you go says a lot about who you are and where you are. See, the Bible says this, that the righteous run into the tower and are saved. What most of us do when we sin or we do wrong is we run away from God instead of towards God. And the reason why we run away from God is because we're fearful because we've been taught wrong about his holiness. But God's been speaking this to me lately, is that when my brokenness collides with his holiness, it brings about my wholeness. Holiness is not something for my brokenness to be afraid of. Holiness is something that my brokenness should run to because it runs to this tower and then I am saved, made whole. That word saved means sozo, the Greek word for body, soul, and spirit, salvation of mind, heart, soul, body, the whole shooting box. And so I don't have to be afraid of God's holiness. He is not here to hurt me. He is not here to damage me. For God so loved the world. He is desperately pursuing my heart as much as those other gods are pursuing your heart. That worry is pursuing your heart. That anxiety is pursuing your heart. Other things are pursuing your heart. And God's like, hey, I'm after your heart too. And the cool thing is, is when my holiness collides with your brokenness, then you find wholeness. But why you run away from From me, I can never restore you. Because his intention is not for punishment, but it's to build you back to his original intent, which he said to Adam and Eve at the beginning, have authority, subdue the earth, rule over it. But we think that our brokenness should be kept away from his holiness. But man, when when your brokenness collides with his holiness, it brings back, Brings around your wholeness. The high ground we seek reveals the geography of our values. Where do you go? What is it that you reach out for in times of trouble? Here's the next question. What what infuriates you? What drives you crazy? Everyone has a hot button or two or three or four or five or six or 105. Everybody has a hot button. Something that makes us crazy, yeah? Something that drives us nuts. Let me ask you this question. Do you hate to lose? Could it be that always having to be the best has become an idol in your world? Let me ask you this question. This will be really relevant for you guys. Not so much for me, praise the Lord. And based on how I respond in this environment when I face it, It's probably a good thing, but how do you respond sitting in traffic? When someone cuts you off or pushes in or doesn't know how to merge like a flippin' zip. Those people, eh? Those people merge as a zip, bro. One car goes in front and then we all merge like a zip. Not push in. Not push in. Not speed up and close the gap. Merge like a zip. Not join the motorway at 60 kilometers an hour when it's going 100. Speed up, you moron. That's how some people are. I'm not like that. You know what God said to me one day when I was getting so frustrated? Why, Craig, 
does this person have so much power over your emotions? Why does this have so much power over your emotions? You've heard me say this before, but here's the thing. Emotions are like allergies. A peanut, someone that has a peanut allergy, the peanut is not evil. If you put the peanut on the table, it doesn't leap up and attack you. Yeah? It doesn't jump off the table and go, ah. It's just a peanut. The problem with the peanut for someone that has a peanut allergy is once they consume the peanut, it forces the body into a response. Emotions are exactly the same. Emotions are not evil, but emotions try to force you into a reaction like the peanut causes the person to react that has an allergy to it. Emotions try to cause us to react when what we need to do is respond. See, I don't live in reaction to the devil, I live in response to God. And so emotions are just things that try to bully us into a particular reaction. And you've just got to say, you know what? No. Not that your emotions are wrong. Don't get me wrong. You may feel like people are rejecting you or ignoring you or don't care about you. But you've got to stop that emotion for a minute and go, hold on, man, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. That emotion is just revealing where you have a lack of truth in your life. It's not something that should be feared. It's something that should be challenged. Come on. What infuriates you? What about when somebody embarrasses you or doesn't treat you with respect? How dare they speak to me that way? What's the real issue here when you get so upset because somebody doesn't treat you with the respect that you think that you deserve? I'll tell you what the real issue is. Maybe your quick temper reveals the oldest idol of them all, the God of me. I deserve respect. I deserve that promotion. I deserve to be treated right. I deserve to be invited into that group. Who's the God you're worshipping? And last but not least, as the musicians come this morning, is what are your dreams? (laughs) What are your dreams? If nightmares are revealing, so are daydreams. The places we choose for our imagination to go can sometimes reveal to us where we may have an idol. What fantasy has gripped you and puts a twinkle in your eye? What, what is it that you're dreaming of? Next, oh, I'm going to be the next boss. I'm going to be the next lotto winner. Don't get me wrong, aspirations are fine. Aspirations are fine. Having goals are fine. As long as... You understand why you're aspiring to them. Because if you're aspiring to them for wealth, if you're aspiring to them for glory, if you're aspiring to them for fame, then friend, those aspirations have become a God in your life. But if you're aspiring to them because you want to bring glory to His name, then you're okay. But what do you dream about? You see, the thing is is this, is the reason that the battleground is your heart is because the enemy understands that the heart is the only thing that God wants from you. God just wants your heart. I don't know about you, but 
I'm not in a religion, I'm in a relationship. And I've been married to my beautiful wife for 25 years. And she could do cook for me, she could get me coffees whenever I wanted it, she could do foot massages when I require it, she could even do whatever I needed. But if I didn't have her heart, all the things that she did just wouldn't really matter. It would have no impact on me because it would be like, you're just doing that because you have to. You're not doing that because you want to. You're doing it because you have to. And God is like, I just want your heart. I'm not after your skills. I'm not after your talents, even though I've given them to you. I don't want to just use you. I'm not here to use you for my purposes. I just want your heart. Now, does that mean that we don't have to do stuff for God? Well, what it means is that when God has your heart, because when you understand that he gave you his heart, and when you understand what he has done for us, when you understand that even though we deserve punishment, he never ever gives it to us, even though we deserve all sorts of things, God's mercy saved us from what we do deserve so that we don't get what we deserve, And this is where some of you get grace a little bit wrong. You think grace saves you when you're sinful. No, no, no. It's his mercy that saves you when you make a mistake. Grace means God's undeserved favor. And God's undeserved favor is not relevant to your behavior. It's just, he is just generous. He is just giving. He is just blessing. Grace causes him to bless you and regardless of your behavior and regardless of your response. So some of you think if I do wrong, God will punish me. No, no. Grace of God doesn't work like that. The grace of God is a covenant and a covenant says that I will do for you what I said I will do even if you don't do for me what you said you're going to do. So therefore his grace never stops. It never stops blessing you. It never stops being for you. No matter what you do, no matter what sin you can you do, God will consistently pour out his grace and favor upon you. That's why it says, while yet we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His grace was applied to you. His favor was applied to you even before you lived for him. And it doesn't stop when you sin. It's his mercy that saves you from what you deserve. His grace constantly gives you what you don't deserve. And it's not related to your behavior. Because when somebody loves you, when you love someone so much, you don't do stuff to get something back. You do stuff because you love them. You do stuff because you love them. And when you understand that that's God's heart towards you, that God's heart is like, I just want you. And we sang this song this morning, nothing else, but that's God's song to us. I just want you. I know there's all these other gods over here trying to compete for your heart, but if you'll give me your heart, man, we can see incredible things happen. If you would let your brokenness collide with my holiness, I'll bring out a wholeness in your life that you've never experienced before. And not because you're going to do all this stuff, but just because my heart is for you. My heart is for you. He doesn't want your skills and talents. He just wants your heart. And why does he want your heart? As we said at the beginning, 
above all else. Guard your heart. For out of it flows all of life. Guard your heart. Keep it for Him. And when we keep our heart for Him, then all of life flows through Him. Come on. If He's the King of our heart, and it's not me, self isn't in charge. If He's the King of my heart, and all things in life flow through my heart, then everything that flows out of my heart has the king's favor on it, has the king's anointing on it, has the king's presence on it, has God all over it. And that's why Paul says, it's not I that live, but Christ that lives in me. He understood that if God has my heart, then God will take care of everything else. And we have these gods that say, hey, God can't look after you. You need to control this. And God say, no, 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 trust me. I will give you the desires of your heart if you'll let me have your heart. Seek ye first his kingdom, his righteousness. All these things shall be added to you. Why do they get added to us? Because when God has our heart, everything flows through him. And that's what this series is all about. It's not about where you're getting it wrong. It's about where he's getting it right. And it's about going, man, I'm sorry. I'm not here for blessings. Jesus, you don't owe me anything. I just want to sit here at your feet. I just want you because you just want me. And when we get that part right, everything else falls into place. There are gods at war in your heart trying to rob you of all the things that God wants to do for you. And you need to say to them, hey, he's Lord God is the God of my heart. Lord God, he has my heart. And when he has your heart, 